Lajoie leaving it into the slot area. Shot scores! Okay, the second hottest guy on the Leafs has scored. Bobby McMahon. Bingo! Here's Domi coming out of pass in front. They score! McMahon again! I was telling him to fire it for one more. Um, you know, it would have been, uh, been pretty cool to see. Um, but, you know, he's, he's been playing so well for us, and he just keeps getting better and better. It's pretty remarkable, you know, credit to him. You know, he's gone from basically healthy scratch early this week to into the lineup when guys get sick, and uh, now he's got five goals this week. So he got his chance. He's showing that he's not going to not going to let this one slip. So tremendous week for him. Um, and great to see the puck going because he can score. We've seen that at the, at the HL level. He did a lot of other really good things too that you know make it hard to keep uh, to take him out of the lineup. Ben Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Yeah, you can't take Bobby McMahon out right now. Now that he has pulled even with Tyler Bertuzzi in goal scoring, which is both a credit to Bobby McMahon and uh, a statement on the season that Tyler Bertuzzi is having goal scoring wise. I was uh, actually remembering which goal came first in the game, but you're right. McMahon did pull back even. It was like he was ahead, then Bert yeah. tied him. And, yep, yep, yep. yep. Uh, Leafs and Blues this afternoon, 1 o'clock pregame at 1230 on Sportsnet Ontario. It's family day. Happy family day to our listening audience. It is President's Day in the United States where they honor their presidents, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And I guess when you celebrate, it's like no taking taking sides. You got to celebrate all of them. All of the presidents uh, are what you celebrate today. I bet you in America, there's a couple people who are making a mm. really big point of which presidents are not celebrating. Can't do it. I would it's imagine. just no, all President's like, Day. No, not, not this one. Yeah, tough. But not for... I nah. won't say which. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. All right, so Leafs back in the top three in the Atlantic Division. Austin Matthews on pace for 74 goals, looking for a third straight game with a hat trick. Haven't done that this season. See if you can, can maybe pull that one off. That would be impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be is also his seventh hat trick of the season. Ridiculous. Which would be three off the all-time National Hockey League record of 10. And as we mentioned, Mario Lemieux once had nine. So uh, lots on though. the line. No waner, so. <laughs> and again, I don't know if you went back and looked at that that uh, Hart Trophy season for mm. Wayne in his first season with the Kings. Like, Mario outplayed him. I did like Gord, and to your point, like, look at the numbers. I did like Gord giving us a, like, man, that was a narrative MVP for Wayner. Mm. We'll get to narrative stuff yeah. uh, when it comes from the NBA All-Star weekend uh, in a little bit. But let's 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 do this. Let's make the case for and against the Leafs being actually good. So like sure. this is, I guess it's a it's a relative thing because like they're good enough to make the playoffs. And like you said, you've never wavered on them being a playoff team Not in the Eastern once. Conference. But like there's some smart some, people like me know this. The Flyers are in the playoffs. No offense to the Flyers, but like there's some some meh teams in playoff positions. That's the nature of playoffs in North American pro sports, honestly, these days with the expanded yeah, playoff favorite, field. Bring up your favorite yeah, bad what, playoff 80, team. 84 there win it is. Diamondbacks, there whatever. Okay, yeah. You're going to be a Even baseball. Like they won 84 games. Even baseball. Now, bad teams get into the playoffs, okay? So they're a playoff team. Okay, tell me if this is the correct list. Here are, to my eyes, the sure. contenders. Okay. The tier one of teams. And maybe you want to call it even shorter than this, but here's... Sure. I think these are the teams that are unassailably in that list. Maybe the way Boston's played, you would mm. cut them out of it. Or maybe you could throw Tampa in. But I have 
Right now, I have Florida, Boston, Vegas, Colorado, Edmonton, and I do have Dallas because of the record and because of the Jake Ottinger thing. Like, am I missing anybody? Is there, is there somebody in there that you disagree with? Uh, are we absolving the Toronto Maple Leafs from this conversation? Yeah, no, okay. they're not. Right. This is no, no. This, this, we're I making the case pro and con for them to be included. Now, you did not say the Jets. No. Okay, I, I don't. I didn't. I just wanted to clarify. I, I think that's yeah. a bubble team. I don't disagree. Now, so you can make the Hellebuck case like the gonna, same. I, like if you're doing the Ottinger thing, you I can ju- do the Hellebuck thing. I was gonna say, I'm like, they're the the Leafs did the Spider-Man meme, the Jets and the now the difference is is the Stars have you know like gone to a conference final that's in it. years past. There's a pedigree there. So no, no, I'm I am with you. I think that that's the bubble team. Uh, did you mention Canucks? No, I didn't. Okay. Again, like we're talking about pedigree, no, no, being I, out of the playoffs a season just, ago, I, and there's reasons. Not that the Canucks are no good, mm-hmm. but like you look at their insane shooting percentage, you also look at their yeah. strength of schedule to this point in the season. It's been ridiculously awful. Yeah, uh, so is the Leafs, but it's actually good for them because mm-hmm. they play bad against mm-hmm. uh, against and not to the degree of which no. the Canucks. So the Leafs, so Hockey Reference has this strength of schedule metric where like zero is yep. like. You play every yeah, team yeah, you've yeah. played is 500, and negative is like you played an easy schedule. Mm-hmm. The Leafs are like minus 0.5. The Canucks are minus 0.11. Like they're they're like double the amount. Oh, of, yeah. of the, awful schedule. And that the they PDO played. this stuff this year has been off the charts. So no, no, I just I I don't I don't disagree with you. I'm not putting them in there, but I think those are the two teams that when you list everybody off there, people go, hold on, hold on. What about the team that's been kind of leading the league the whole year I long in the Canucks? That, and what about the Jets? So, so no. th- that's it. Like, do you want to put them in, or do you? Do you I, think here's what I'd say. That this is a good list. I think the Leafs are a part of that group that we're talking about here, and I think the that the Canucks and Jets are part and parcel with the Leafs. Okay, well, you're kind of spoiling the whole thing I'm okay, about I'm to sorry. do here. <laughs> See, okay, so we know that Brent comes in with, with this preconceived notion that the Leafs are involved in this tier one conversation: Florida, Boston, Vegas, Colorado, Edmonton, Dallas. Well, I, well I, no, because I think it's important because you posed this to me and I said, I'm like, are there two good teams in the league or is this the NHL mm-hmm. I grew up with where not half the league is good, but the upper third of it is. Okay. And I gonna, think that's the difference. If you were going to chop it. So maybe we should do it. Maybe that's too easy a conversation okay. to have. Like, let's chop it down then. Sure. Okay. Chop it. Who are the true contenders? The Stars, the Golden Knights, mm-hmm. the Oilers, the Panthers, the Leafs. And I feel like I'm missing somebody in here, but no. You don't have the Avalanche? Or sorry, the, okay, that was the team I was thinking of. I'm and you like, don't have the Bruins in there. <laughs> I do. Okay, so you just said my exact list. What are you talking about? My What I'm talking about is that I think so often this year we've done the thing and we've kind of vacillated back and forth on it with, you know what, only, only three teams can win the cup this year, guys. Mm-hmm. Only three teams. No, 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 no. It's still the NHL. It's still hockey. And the Leafs are... I will just state my opinion. Off the hop. And unequivocally a good team. They are. Okay. They're not great. Again, you're spoiling the whole thing. I don't think I am. I think I'm having a conversation with you. Okay, but I've actually put okay. forth some some pros and cons. Some, I, I some... have them as well. All right. So let's let's start with yeah. The the I don't need to convince you of this, because like you're coming out of the gates with this preconceived notion that they are in mm-hmm. fact part of that discussion. So to me, the number one reason why you would believe that is the goal scoring, right? Yes. And which is now, man, it's amazing what a goal, what a game in which you score nine goals can do to your overall, and you score four power play goals in the game. They're now first in the East in goals per game, all situations. Now they're fourth overall in the NHL, but they're 
the number one scoring team in the Eastern Conference. This is a team that is actually scoring at an elite, elite level. And I mentioned the power play. Mm -hmm. The power play with four goals now finds itself number two in the entire NHL, better than last season. Mm -hmm. Um, it's amazing now, like Guy Boucher did a, he's doing great. Like one, mm. one game and TBD, it, I mean, scoreboard, he would say like, okay, you wanted me to take the second best power play in the NHL and make it better. Well, not only is it still second best, but the percentage is better than a season ago. So okay. yes, goal scoring, yep. number one record against good opponents. So mm. here is the record against teams that are currently in a playoff this spot. This is my biggest thing. Just FYI, 13, eight and two. Which is not overwhelming, but nope. those are the like good teams. Yeah. They're they're just above five hundred against you know what? That all would the be good teams. A great record in the Stanley Cup playoffs. No like if you kidding. Did that, <laughs> you know? And that's that's exactly what we're talking about yep. here. And yeah, I mean, obviously the games change, but all we can do is take the sample that we have against the teams that are going to be in their way when we get to the the postseason. They're eleventh in points percentage, despite being twenty first in save percentage. Now the reason I bring this up is because. It's very difficult to be even 11th in points percentage when you have that type of goaltending. You mm -hmm. know the two teams that sandwich them in save percentage in the NHL? Hit me. Montreal is slightly mm. better than them. The Sharks are slightly worse than them. So the Sharks are 22nd. The Montreal Canadiens are 20th. Guess what? Those teams don't have the 11th best points percentage in the yeah. NHL. No, they don't. And I think there's reason to believe that the goaltending can get better. Well, one, Ilya Samsonov has been actually better. Hard to have been that level of bad and still be in the NHL, quite honestly. And, jo yes. and Joseph Wall is right around the corner. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, Max Domi, both in the midst of their worst seasons ever as far as goals per 60. And again, 11th in points percentage. Do we think that's going to continue all season long? I would think not. They're fourth in high danger, uh, Corsi 4 per 60. And... You know, also, they have a guy that's on pace to score 74 goals this season. All right. that's Anything else you'd like to add to that? I think the biggest piece of the puzzle, or not, it's not you laid on all the obvious answers. The one thing I would also highlight there is that we did talk about William Nylander and him having a transcendent season and the best version of himself. And maybe he's kind of cooled off a little, maybe it went part and parcel with the contract. We can park that conversation for now. Mitch Marner, if we're going to do the Bertuzzi-Domi thing there, of there's more there, there's not a million miles more of Mitch Marner, and he has certainly turned it on as of late, but that's not been the guy we've seen all season long. He hasn't been at his best. He definitely has been as of late, but if you're going to get this version of Marner, and why would we believe otherwise, much like Nylander wasn't going to be a 140-point player all season long, Mitch Marner wasn't going to be a 90-point guy. All, all season long. I don't know that it'll be 100. One mm -hmm. day he'll get there, maybe. That's another huge, huge one for me is that you're seeing Marner really turn it on, and obviously that feels part and parcel of Matthew shooting it in the back of the net, but the best version of him has not been here for the entirety of the Leafs season. And much like we say about the goaltending thing, that we think there's something more to be unearthed or a better version of it lurking, I think you're seeing that come out of Marner right now. It's a good point. Uh, all right, so let's make the counter argument then. Yeah. The Leafs are no good. They actually stank. So I mentioned one of my final arguments was that in favor of them being included in that upper echelon, it's like the guy, this guy's going to maybe score 74 goals this mm -hmm. season. It's also the number one argument against them that they're only 11th in points percentage with the guy who, like, he can't get better than this. Mm -mm. It's, it's unbelievable if he continues this. He can't get better than this. And they're only barely inside the top three in the Atlantic at this point. 
Uh, so I mentioned the record against good teams. The record against bad teams is worse than, yeah. than that. It's 15, 8, and 6. Mentioned this off the top of the show. Uh, the fancy stats are not nearly as kind as the raw stats are for this team. So this team is now number one in goals for per game in the Eastern Conference. But like their five on five Corsi percentage is middling. It's 14th. They're only 12th in Corsi four at five on five. So that takes away the defensive side of it. It's like, how many shot attempts do you mm-hmm. get at five on five? Like they, they're only 12th and they're 19th in shots against per per 60. We know the regulations win thing, 18th most uh, regulation or overtime wins. They have played the relatively easy schedule. Not as easy as the Vancouver Canucks. Mm-hmm. Mm, if you want to quibble about the, so I made the positive end of the goaltending argument that, hey, they're they're pretty decent record with well below average goaltending mm-hmm. is a positive thing. The negative would be, hey, the, what, what's exactly the path for the goaltending being much better? Because while Ilya Samsonov looks a little bit closer to the guy that he was a season ago, you take, like I talk about Austin Matthews having mm-hmm. this ridiculous shooting percentage season, but you combine it with last year's underperformance, and it's basically what he's done throughout his entire career. Maybe that's what's happening with the Ely Samsonov because you take the last two seasons, combine them, 907 save percentage, which is still above his career average. So, like, yeah, maybe there's no reason to believe that he can recapture what he was last season, that the guy you've seen over two seasons mm-hmm. is actually the better example. Now, Joe Wall, every time he's stepped onto a National Hockey League ice surface, he's yep. been really good. But, like, who's of the belief that he can return from a high ankle sprain and, one, be the same guy, and, two, remain healthy the rest of the season. And uh, yeah, they, I, I think there's more than enough evidence to suggest if you were going to make the argument, mm-hmm. I don't think either of us are, no. that this team actually is not deserving of that upper echelon slot. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think when you lay out all those points, it's all well said. The thing I would say about the wall of it all is that... Ooh, the it, wall of it all. The wall of it all is that that's still the guy. Again, they weren't going to say it definitively, but go listen to every comment Sheldon Keefe had about his goalies. Not not after the first two games didn't go well for Sansonov. Even kind of before that, mm-hmm. Joe Wall was clearly the guy he trusted there. So it is obviously a massive... I, I feel like I'm as big a believer of Wall in anyone, but I've also been laying out the fact that it's a massive question mark. A guy coming off this layoff for a guy who has had injury history, but... If he has injury history and he goes away because he's hurt, that's when you get your best version of Samsonov, or at least that has been the case when he's not having to look over his shoulder. The other thing I think you have to point to, and I'm not making this case, because again, I think the Oilers are a contender and they got Cody Cece playing on their top pair. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at that blue line. Does that look like a contending blue line to you? Now we've done this conversation before. I like the version of TJ Brody you got when he is playing on his proper side as opposed to doing the thing he's done the entirety of the time here. But... That is not, if you're going to just point to it now, there have been non-championship blue lines that have made runs and won championships, but that's not a championship blue line. I think from a kind of construction point, that is still the thing I most go back to. And this, this I think is maybe the most important part of it all. When you, when you mention all those contenders, they all seem much more, whether they, it's because they have the capital, whether they're actually more motivated, mm. to go out and become a better team. Mm-hmm. The Leafs seem pretty primed for a, you know, a trepid repo- uh, approach at the de- or a tepid rep- approach at the deadline here. Yeah, and it's something we're, we're going to talk to Elliot Friedman later on this hour. It's something I'm interested to ask him as to whether Brad for Living is still in the evaluation 
process of this team and deciding whether it's a big swing uh, trade deadline for him. Now, part of that, I mean, it might, the, the decision might be taken out of his hands here with the amount of assets or the quality of assets that are to be had in in trade before the early March mm-hmm. trade deadline. And there are reports that he was willing to give up one of those first-round picks in a combo deal for Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev earlier on this season. But, yeah, I wonder if he's doing the same conversation daily. Like, is this team good enough? Is this team in that upper echelon? There's been plenty of, of moments during the season where it's been hard to imagine the, the, the conversation leading to where I think we were both mm-hmm. at, that they are in they that conversation. Like, you will admit that there were times this season watching this team for like a two-week span, you're like, oh, no, they're just hot garbage. I... I am always, I, I would say I'm always more bullish on this team than most people. Hot garbage, strong. Were they a good team at times this year? No, they were not. They were not an upper echelon, a good team. The thing I go to with True Living is I don't think this is, I, I'm not saying he is already made up his mind on what he's going to do at the deadline. But I think there's a big part of him that's kind of already made up his mind on what he's going to do at the deadline. There is There might be impetus for the team to push in. And Austin Matthews having a 70-goal pace or a 70-goal season, maybe that ratchets it up a little bit. But there is no hot seat. There is no pressure on Brad Treliving. He just got hired. Everyone knew the, the timeline of when he got hired. And I just think that there is no world where he pushes in in at this deadline. Why would he? So, yeah. Is he There's a no value? Conn Smythe winners out there, man. There's no, well, it's, but even if there were... Even if there were, why would this be the, again, people are, I don't say this is a knock on true living. Everyone's like this, a selfish to a certain degree. What is the impetus on him to neuter himself at deadlines in the future when he has more of a handle on this team? And guess what? Austin Matthews and William Nylander and John Tavares, and at least for next year, Mitch Marner are not going anywhere. So why would he push, push, push? Unless this team goes on some Oilers-like 16-0 heater, and then guess what? You're going to say, well, that ain't sustainable. They're not going to be able to do that. Or don't forward. mess with the chemistry right. of a team that's playing that well. So that's why I all these conversations we're going to have, and again, we're talking to Freege in, in about you know, 10, 15 minutes here. It'll be perfect to get insight on this, but I just can't see a world where this team can show true living anything to to kind of alter his medium-term plan for this. Uh, I agree. Yeah. And it does feel like, I mean, Gordo Okay, what about Hannafin, though? Like, he's not a Conn Smythe winner, and he yeah. doesn't change everything. But do you think that that is one? And again, like, it seems like he's primed to go to the States, so maybe mm-hmm. that's a non-issue here. But that's the one that I do wonder if... Because if you... Again, it's a big if. He doesn't seem like he wants to sign before free agency, certainly not in not the United States. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder if that's the guy where, again, I keep referencing the Jake Muzzin trade. And Noah Hannafin ain't Jake Muzzin. A big, big part of that was... He shoots with the same hand, though. The ring's in the room. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, if, he's, if he shoots with the same hand, the exact same guy. But I think that that's the one that maybe would be different because it's not... Actually, let me, let me clarify this. I don't think true living is completely unopen to making a swing it just it won't be a swing for this year it'll be that kind of trade it'll be you know rasmus anderson another well, name that got kind I of mean, bandied about right going back to the ryan o'reilly acquisition of yep. last year's deadline i'm sure kyle dubas had intimations of extending him and there were conversations that were had mm-hmm. between he and the player and won't be here yeah. he wanted to miss his chance to go see the sphere and you too <laughs> instead 
So wanted to be left alone. I don't know how certain you can be, even in the Chris Tanev of it. And, you know, another part of this is going to be interesting to see is whether the Flames actually start, like, sitting those guys. Uh, yeah, Free just brought this up a lot, that the league is apparently, I mean, what are they going to do? Like, what are they going to go load ma- load management? What, what can they say? But apparently the league is very Yeah, the Jacob Chikrin thing guys, was, yeah. was ugly. Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. No, we know, I think, pretty definitively by multiple different sources that, yeah, that was something that uh, Brad True Living was interested in doing, whether it was Nikita mm-hmm. Zadorov, but like a combo yep. trade of a couple of different defensemen. And then, yeah, all right, obviously our first round pick is involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's hard to imagine just one rental and one rental without the idea of a possible extension. And the Hannafin one is is tough to imagine. Yeah, it is. And it seems more and more likely, God, the like, the doomsday scenario and I don't know like maybe they're not so perfect they lost in the first round last year after all but is like Boston just saying all right we got to kickstart this thing this theme's not going the way we want to kind of spiraling did this last year with Lindholm and you know worked out well until the games mattered Mm -hmm. for them but yeah that's and you know obviously there's a lot of connections there that's a team that you could see saying okay yeah like we do believe that we could get this guy locked up ahead of time because it's somewhere he actually wants to be that's the scary one because it seems like, and again, we'll talk to Fridge about all this, all the loading ups happening in the other conference yeah. this, this year, which well, is, yeah. hey, great, I'll take it. Well, yeah, and the Bruins, yeah, like you mentioned, did uh, some pretty heavy lifting at last year's deadline, as did the the Lightning, and you wonder if they have the stomach for it again this year. I don't know if I have the stomach to watch another NBA All-Star game. Mm. Yeah, so, like, I'm not as heated as, as you may see some of the talking heads uh, south of the border about this thing. It's ugly. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. It's Agreed. not entertaining. It's just kind of like par for the course, especially going back to last year. I am a little bit surprised, though, and I'll tell you why. So the players have largely bought into the 65-game thing being the threshold for awards, and I know Tyrese Halliburton hasn't because it's going to cost him many millions of dollars, but like everybody, Kawhi Leonard plays basketball games. Mm-hmm. In the year of our Lord, 2024. It's wild. He plays, and part of it is like things that are out of his control. He's actually probably his healthiest he's been in the last couple of years. But you see this across the league. The guys are taking it seriously. Now, part of it is the awards mandate. But part of it is this upcoming media rights negotiation that's going to take place. And they're understanding that they get a percentage of the pie and that they want to make the television product valuable so we have Mm -hmm. seen proof of concept with that the commissioner the head of the players associate Mm -hmm. like the they've been on point talking about how this thing is going to be competitive we don't need to add these little wrinkles and the player drafting and the weirdo multiple games within a game thing we can just do east versus west because the players understand Mm -hmm. the point here point is to create yet another television product that people want to see that generates eyeballs and attention and excitement that we can bring to the table when we talk about media rights. Instead, you got the worst ever. Like, it's never been as bad, just like factually. Like, no. And it's not just the points. It's the three-point shooting, right? Because three-point shooting has become an outsized part of the game, and you can quibble with whether that's good or bad for the game. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you is, like, when nobody's playing defense, just walking halfway up the court and shooting a three is the least... Um, the thing that requires the least amount of effort or yeah. energy to do. And they attempted, like, basically every trip down the court was just another three. I am a little bit surprised with everything that is on the line financially for these players that that's what they gave us. 
I'm not overly surprised. I think Anthony Edwards, I forget what the exact quote was, but he's like, yeah, guys don't guys don't want to try. It's the all-star game. He talked about shooting with his left hand the, the whole time. He did it for the skills challenge. It's, it is honestly the biggest takeaway I had from it. And like, yeah, I know everyone listening is like, oh, shocker. You think, well, actually, this will be shocking that I think the NHL did a good thing. I just can't believe, you said it, in the year of our Lord, 2024, that the NHL is doing things right and the NBA is doing something wrong. It's not everything. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, they're going to they're gonna t- overtake the NBA. No, like, let's not be blind to the economics of everything. But everything we said about the NHL All-Star Weekend and the guys leaning in and selling it and finally getting it and making it really exciting – just 180 it and say it about the NBA All-Star Game. It is remarkable to me that a league that is for so often seen the most forward, the most forward-facing, the most forward-looking, understanding what they need to do. And I don't think the All-Star Game is going to be the BN and end-all. We're going to sit here and talk about the NBA being great because of what happens in the playoffs, like we do for just about every sport. But for a league, or I should say a sport that used to lend itself so well to the best all-star game, now it's baseball, but even that is, you know, I'm going to offend your sensibilities here. A little boring just watching the best pitchers carve everybody up for for three straight hours here. Basketball used to be far and away the best all-star game. And the effort's just gone. And we don't even we don't even get what we used to have, where guys would screw around for 44 minutes and then go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Now let's see who the top dog is here. Who's going to get the ball? Who's guarding them? We ju- it just it loses all stakes. It loses all emotion. And that was the one sport where you could actually mm-hmm. play a game with stakes and emotion in an all-star game. So I, it doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it matters, but it is so, so jarring for a weekend that used to be, and again, I play this game all the time. Was it better or was I 12? They used to be one of the most exciting weekends of or nights of sport, mm-hmm. the dunk contest and the three point. And then you have your all-star game and it's, you know, mano y mano. And now this is just, eh, it's an all-star game. It yeah, which is, is fine. Is. Like, I'm not going to get up in arms about it. But what you should do then, again, to give uh, credit to the NHL is don't have it with the same rules as the normal game because then we just compare it to a normal game and yep. it's nothing like, so the NHL does three on three and that's fine. Like, it's part of the mm-hmm. game, but it's, it's yeah. It's it. The rules are made to have it look more like pond hockey. That's what it's going to be either way. So eh, maybe the NBA needs to do a three on three like mini tournament thing if this is what it's going to be. Because don't hmm. once it's like a forty eight minute normal game. Yeah. And then you you can like apply normal statistics to it. Yeah, it's wild. It's horrible. And also shout out to the NBA who's clearly rigging the dunk contest to get like any like Jalen Brown. It's like, Oh my God, what a superstar in the dunk contest. And he qualifies and he is a star, right? And playing for a great team, but his dunk to get into the final was literally like one of the, the worst, (sighs) most or least imaginative dunks in the history of the dunk contest. But given the ability to advance to the final, because clearly there was an implicit understanding, if not explicit that, Hey, we're not going to embarrass this guy. What we got to do is like encourage some guys on his level of stardom to participate in this thing, and that's at least getting to the final where Mac McClung, because he's six foot one and somehow able to get his head to the rim, is going to win every year, it seems like. Yeah, again, like I just, I remember it used to be so great, the dunk contest, and now I'm old and I hate everything. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, I feel like right. that could just be like the description for the show. I'm, I'm old, old and I hate everything. Yeah. Well done. Not for each, though. Love for each. Uh, as mentioned earlier in today's show, Santana coming to Budweiser stage this summer on June 26th. With Counting Crows as part of their oneness tour to enter for a chance to win tickets, text in today's code word SMOOTH 
to 590-590. Again, that's smooth to 590-590. We have uh, another last pair of tickets to give away in tomorrow's episode, but if you don't win with us, tickets officially now on sale at Ticketmaster.ca. When we come back, the aforementioned Elliot Friedman. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. We look a little uh, weekday afternoon hockey action for you as the mm-hmm. Leafs and St. Louis Blues from uh, Missouri. 1 o'clock this afternoon, pregame show at 12.30 on Sportsnet Ontario. Kipper, Bourne, Elliot Friedman, who's going to just, uh, he's going to join us in just a second here. One of his major headline items mm. during his headline segment on Hockey Night in Canada was that uh, Noah Hannafin is on the market in earnest and that there's some trepidation amongst the Canadian teams about the possibility mm-hmm. of re-signing him, but clearly... In a market in which there's not many headline players still out there, he he tops them all. If he is a if he's gettable at the deadline, he's the the guy that uh, is going to make the most news when he moves. Yeah, the, he is the biggest difference maker that's available out there. It's it's so funny how it seems like we have one of these teams every year. The Flames are definitely it this year in terms of who gets to be kingmaker. Sometimes the kingmaker is the actual like people who don't have any players and it's the Blackhawks where they take all the money. And that's obviously going to be a big part as we get closer and closer to deadline. But yeah, it's, it's been, it's been fun to kind of watch the way the flames have gone about it. And Hannafin is so far and away the, the best guy kind of a kind of available. And it's just a, a, a question of how much your team's going to push given the questions around. Uh, and uh, one of those scenes that could push the Toronto Maple Leafs who have, we know already had discussions with the Calgary Flames, and uh, maybe they will continue to have those discussions as we approach the trade deadline in March. All right, Elliot Friedman on today's broadcast on Sportsnet Ontario, Leafs and Blues, the new edition of 32 Thoughts, out this morning, as if that needs more promo, but uh, there it is. Here's uh, Fridge. How's it going, buddy? There's no such thing as too much promo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Um, you're right. You're right. You're right. We, we can't overdo it when it comes to the best podcast available to our listening audience. All right. So we had and this... what I'll be listening to driving home in about 40 minutes. Yeah, that's, that's kind, of, kind of you guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. So we, we had this discussion at eight o'clock, uh, Fridge, and I'd like you to weigh in. So the Leafs are just barely in the top three in the Atlantic division. Uh, they've mm-hmm. won three straight. Austin Matthews on pace for, for 74 goals. But I think there's an upper echelon of teams that, and maybe you can disagree with this group, but I have Florida, Boston, Vegas, Colorado, Edmonton, Dallas as the true cup contenders. Are the Leafs in that group or are they slightly below them? Well, that's a, you know, I'll say this. I think they're slightly below, but the one thing is every time you think they're really about to fall apart or should fall apart, they fight and they scratch and they claw and they say, boy, there's, there's something here. And I think this is another example. I, you know, when Morgan Riley got suspended, I think a lot of us thought it was going to be an epic disaster, right? And they hammer the blues. They find a way to beat the flyers and they just destroy the ducks the other night. It has gone so much better for them without Riley that, uh, like, I'm shocked 
Maybe they should just, you know, Batman's uh, decision is due today. You know, maybe they should ask him to increase it because they just seem to be playing uh, so much better. But, you know, there's been a lot of weird games this year. Uh, but, you know, when you consider what's happened in goal and what's happened on the blue line and some of the droughts that have happened outside the top two lines, they have no business with the record that they have. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, and so, uh, you know, Ben, I don't think they're as, as a top contender as some of those other teams, but they're a lot better than I thought they are, too. Yeah, it's uh, the Leafs have been, I mean, they've been a Jekyll and Hyde team for so much of this kind of Matthews era. And, you know, you can say it's Jekyll and Hyde from game to game. You can say it's Jekyll and Hyde from kind of line to line in the way that you've had the top six almost set in stone for the better part with the odd piece filtering in. And then the bottom six is getting re- rejigged every year. Uh, obviously, if we're talking about the Leafs, like every team, focus goes towards the trade deadline. I think a lot of people have wondered about the impetus for Brad for living. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the lack of cap he has available in terms of wanting to trade. I wonder how much that is what ho- what's holding back the lease from making a move, along with the fact that Treliving, to, to a certain extent, you know, doesn't feel as much pressure as we've seen in the past. Now, obviously, the guy completely on top of this, and Brendan Shanahan, he was there for last year and wanting to push and all of those dubious moves, but he's still here now. But do you think that this kind of change with GM that happened in the offseason allows them a bit of a reset where it doesn't need to seem like it's do or die every single year and this is the year to kind of push all in. The assets are certainly adding to that conversation, but how much of it is just kind of a the the fact that there was the reset that the team had this offseason with the change in GM? Yeah, Brian, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think it comes down to how good you think you are or aren't. Like, I can't help but look at this team and say it's got a lot of holes. Mm. And, and even in – and again, I, I think they deserve a lot of credit for playing as hard as they do. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for, especially in the last week. Like, you, you take a look at that blue line, you know, Max Lajoie played 20 minutes the other night. Like, you were not expecting that to happen at this point of the season. But they keep finding ways to win. And, and But I, I just don't know how you can't objectively look at the roster and say, Boy, we've got some holes here, and and can we really expect to win with what we've got? Um, but this is a you know what's Bill Parcells' old line: "You are what your record says you are." Mm-hmm. And I think I understand the DNA of the organization. Like I like one of the guys you know, obviously I listened to is Nick, and Nick feels and he talked about it last week. He says you've got these guys in their prime. He's talking about the core four. You have to go for it. Now, I don't know if I completely agree with that, but I do recognize that the organization could be governed by that. Mm. And I think there are people who matter who think that way. Now, I believe this. They don't have a lot to trade. They don't want to trade Nyes, who everybody asks about. They don't want to trade Minton and Cowan, who everybody asks about. Um, So, And they don't – I mean, I think they will move their one – I'm not sure they should, but I, you know, my vote doesn't really matter. They're going to do what they want to do. <laughs> I think the thing is, though, Brent, is that I think they've tried to be creative with their number one pick. They've tried to use it to get both Zadorov and Tanev. That didn't work. To this point, they haven't put their number one in. 
for Tanev or else they'd have him already. And I think they've tried to use their number one for a player that they can get with term. But right now they haven't been able to do that. So I think the, I think the, the, the long and short, the short answer to you is I think they're going to do something. I'm not convinced they should, but I think they will. And I think with the number one pick in particular, they're trying to get the most bang for their buck they can out of it. Yeah, I mean, giving up uh, that number one, they don't have a second-round pick, I think constitutes, especially considering the, the, the depth of talent available in trade, feels like a pretty all-in move for this team yet again. Uh, Tanev, of course, a, a pending free agent, but somebody I'm sure they think that they can re-sign. What about Hannafin, who you, you talked about on Saturday? I mean, do they get involved in those conversations? Do they try and do, I know you mentioned the Zadorov-Tanev tandem. Do they try Hannafin-Tanev tandem? Obviously, the price is going to be higher. The price would be higher. I'm not. They, they won't be able to do that without giving up something they really don't want to give up. I think the problem with Hannafin, again, he hasn't confirmed this, but I think the, my read on it is is that Hannafin would come for uh, the rest of the year, but I think it's highly unlikely he's signing in Canada. So they would have to, if they wanted to trade for Hannafin, They'd be training for a rental who's less likely to extend than Tanner is. And I'm just not sure they feel great about that. Just back to back to Tanner for a second. And, you know, I, I would just like to get my opinion out there that I don't know that that's the guy you put a first round pick on the table for. But, you know, you mentioned the idea of them wanting it to be potentially somebody with term. How much of what's complicating that is the, you know, the rumor we've all heard or the idea we've all heard out there that Ottawa's ready to spend on this guy potentially this summer. You know, the Leafs have done this playbook before. They did it with Giordano. Bring him in, show him it's comfortable, in the words of Mike Babcock, that they made it safe and then allow everybody to to kind of get comfortable, you sign your cheapy deal, but if the Sens are ready to kind of back up the Brinks truck a little bit or some other team for Tanev, how much do you think that complicates the the Leafs' interest there specifically? I think it complicates it, but the one thing I think about the Leafs is I think they believe if uh, they wanted to keep Tanev, they'd have a very good chance of doing so. Um, I just think they don't want to trade a first-rounder for him yet. And I think that's why this is taking so long. I think it's a it's a big poker game, Brent. There's a lot of that at this time of the year. It's how good a negotiator are, how steel is your resolve, all that kind of thing. I, I think the Leafs want Tanev badly. I think they believe in their ability to re-sign him. Um, however, I, I think what it comes down to is at this point they haven't put a first rounder in. I, I you know I, I think they've got. You know, they don't have a second rounder until 2028. It wouldn't be surprised me if they've thrown a future one in plus. And I think Calgary is sitting there saying, we want to see if we can squeeze that first out of you. So that, that's where that is, uh, so, I believe. So Morgan Riley going to miss his fourth consecutive game. To, right, I was going to say tonight, this afternoon in St. Yep. Louis. Again, pregame show, 1230. Hours from now. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Are you in the yeah, building, got, actually? Got, no, Ben. I, I, it's pretty soon I'm going to haul myself out of bed, but okay. that time hasn't happened yet. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, can you tell? No, no, Couldn't no. But now, now, now that's all I can think about is is you in a prone position doing this radio hit. Um. Anyways, Leafs <laughs> Blues from Missouri this afternoon. No Morgan Riley for this game, but... 
I don't know, maybe before puck drop, we, we find out uh, the result of the appeal directly to the commissioner of the National Hockey League. I know you talked about it on the latest edition, again, of 32 Thoughts, and you thought, you know, a billboard at Times Square was enough to promote it. Nope. Uh, we also get uh, another mention on the Fan Morning Show. But um, are, are we going to get a result, uh, a resolution, an answer before puck drop, and, and what do you expect it to be? You know, it's 72 hours from the time of the hearing. The hearing was Friday afternoon, so... I mean, it'll be around there. Um, uh, my position is I think it's going to be – it's really hard to see Batman uh, decreasing it. Uh, number one, there's no threat of the independent arbitrator here. Uh, unless he – I mean, he can increase it. And if he wanted to do that, then it would go to the independent arbitrator. But I don't see that happening either. I think they'll stay away from him or her. But I, 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 my expectation is he's going to keep it the same. And the reason is, if you go back to the last one he reduced, it was Jason Spezza from 6-4. to four, mm-hmm. um, And that one he reduced because um, I think they were worried about uh, the arbitrator stepping in and decreasing it because when Spezza hit Neil Pionk that time, mm-hmm. uh, Pionk was injured and he missed a couple games. But if you ever read that ruling that Bettman did, one of the reasons he decreased that suspension was Piak came back to action sooner than anticipated. In addition to Spetz's previously clean record, the injury they based the suspension on was determined to be not as severe, mm. and that's why they reduced it. That's not the case in this place. That's not the case in this place. Uh, Ridley Gregg played right away. I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. So I could be wrong about this. My expectation is it stays the same, despite the fact that Riley has no history. I mean, if you want the Leafs to win the Cup, just extend it for the rest of the season and beyond into the postseason. <laughs> It's it's stu- sooner or later this is going to change, but boy, they've been really good without them. I, yeah, and, and not all three games have, have as it been as smooth sailing as it was on Saturday. I would say the first game against the Blues was pretty notable, especially with no Mitch Marner, no John Tavares in it. But man, you go back to the the month that he missed a season ago. That was some of their best hockey. I, Morgan Riley. Your, your team, your hockey team is better with Morgan Riley on it as opposed to off of it. But the, the sample is ridiculous, Fridge. It's like 17-2-1 over the last, whatever, 20 games that he's missed for this team over the last two seasons. How long would that sample have to go before you start actually having takeaways? Uh, I, I, it's completely, you know what, it, like it's 20 games. Like that's not a small sample size, mm-hmm. but it's so completely counterintuitive to me, Ben. I just can't buy into it. Like, this is why, like, I I have no issue with gambling, but this is why I really don't gamble on a serious level Mm -hmm. because it doesn't make any sense. Like, that game against St. Louis last week, uh, I know people who were like, I'm going to crush the money line. Like, I knew people (laughs) like that. And I was like, yeah, I probably would too. And it was one of their best games of the year. The Blues stunk, and Mm -hmm. they... Them. And, uh, like, the Leafs have a lot of games like that are, like, no rhyme or reason games. There's no reason it should have played out like this, but it did. And, you know, the one thing I really give a lot of credit to is the guys like Benoit. I mean, what a year he's had for them. What a fight he's turned out to be. But those guys like Benoit and Lajoie on Saturday night, 
you know, I think McCann's been been really good. Like they've had a lot of guys this year, especially guys like Bedwa, who when and there's no reason for them to look de- at decent on the blue line as a whole, they've played really well for them, very well. Yeah. Um, I did not crush the money line. I actually tweeted out the opposite. I said the Leafs are going to win 7-1 against the Blues. They only won 4-1. Mm-hmm. But Trap game, trap game today, I got to say, Freach. Yeah. I know I know, you're yeah. just dying for my gambling advice, but I think yeah. it's a trap game for the yeah. Leafs. Yeah. We'll see. You do, eh? You know, well, look, again, a lot <laughs> is set up against them. Afternoon game, they're due for a loss. They're, you know, they're short-headed. Like, look at the, like, I mean, look at the blue line they're going to have on today. Like, Lajoie, the the new guy Riffy is going to make his NHL debut. Yep. Like St. Louis should be ornery after the Leafs kicked their tails last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, and Brent, I, I I don't know which way you're leading, but I can guess. And it's it's the kind of game that you look at and you say, boy, they they should be in trouble. But they've played very well in a lot of yep. games this year. They should have been in trouble. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Not wrong. Uh, Fridge. Always a pleasure, um, and uh, you know we'll just miss you here at the building. But uh, yeah, safe travels out of your bed and to work. <laughs> I appreciate your your care for my well being, Ben. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Have See a you. great day, guys. You too. Happy Family Day. Uh, Elliot Friedman, thirty two thoughts, and on the panel for Hockey Central on Sportsnet today. Leafs and Blues from St. Louis pregame show at 12.30 on Sportsnet Ontario. This is the way you wished him a happy family day at the end. Wouldn't it be funny if people did family day like New Year's? Mm-hmm. Like if I didn't see somebody oh, and I'm, uh, and I'm Friday, you had a good I was family like, hey, day. happy family day. Yeah. How was it? Yeah. No, that'd be weird. How does that work? Be weird. On family day. It'd be weird. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think that Brad Living is not in the evaluation phase. I think Mm-mm. he understands what this team is. It's pretty good. And, like, you can squint and see it being in that upper echelon of teams. But I think he also looks at the Eastern Conferences as wide open as it's ever been, mm-hmm. unless you think the Panthers are this juggernaut because they went to the Cup Final a season really ago. Really just up to Bobrovsky. <laughs> right, but they've they've looked the part this season and had some incredible winning streaks, and they, they looked the part in five games against the Leafs last season and beyond, again, up until they met the mm-hmm. real juggernaut in the cup final uh, and lost yep. um, pretty handily. I think Brad Living has already looked at this team, knows what it is. Maybe he had hoped it would look a little bit better considering the additions that he made haven't exactly panned out to the degree at which you would like, and it's degrees here we're talking yep. about when it, we're talking about Tyler Bertuzzi making five and a half and, and, uh, and Max Domi making uh, almost half of that. Mm. But... This is a good team, not a great one with some obvious holes. But, yeah, look at the, the the market of available players. It is Chris Tanev, who would help, mm-hmm. who's 35, who's right shot, and somebody that you could probably re-sign. But I think you bring up a great point about potentially other teams yeah. seeing also their need on the right side on the blue line. Mm-hmm. A guy that can bring what Chris Tanev can. Yep. And, like, the Senators perfect in that mold. Yeah, Looking to reset the culture. Uh, on the blue line there. And then it's like Noah Hannafin, who's okay. Noah Hannafin's good, but are you, are you sure Noah Hannafin is the guy that's going to push this Leafs team over the line? And as Freed rightly points out, it's going to be not just a first, but also dipping into the pool of actually the top prospects within this Leafs organization. 
Yeah, it's just it is you you see it there with this team. They are they are what they are. They are the Rorschach test of NHL teams. If you want to look at it and see a good one, you can certainly see it. The thing about Tanev is that I really like Tanev. I think he'd be a great addition to this team. I don't think he's a capital like difference maker. I don't think that he is the guy that changes things. He's a nice piece to have. The other thing is, yeah, it might work out like it worked out with Gio where he goes, ah, this is great. Playing at home. Might also work out like it worked out with Ryan O'Reilly going, woo, God, Canada's one thing. This is different. And, you know, O'Reilly hadn't even had the Calgary experience of it all. So that's the other part that I do wonder is it's not a guarantee that you get him in here. To Fridge's point, they would know him better. Obviously, they're pretty comfortable with the player. Trilliving has a good relationship with them. But guys can see this and go, whoa, I knew it was going to be something like this. But this is a completely different ballgame. We just saw it happen with the guy. Yeah, if you make the Luke Shen type deal that you made at last year's deadline for Labushkin, my boy. Well, that's the, I mean, that is the guy that I think a lot of people have circled. Um, yeah, I mean, his team didn't exactly do him any favors, increasing his market uh, on Did Saturday. Did a favor? Yeah, sure, maybe. But yeah, I honestly, if the Leafs go out and spend a middle round draft pick on a guy of his ilk, right hand shot, who can maybe, again, play the, who thought that Luke Shen would be playing on the top pairing compost season? I don't think Luke Shen thought it. Nope. But was there a more impactful addition outside of Ryan O'Reilly, who had some moments in the postseason as well? Scored a late goal. Yeah. I know. Luke Shen was pretty important, man. Like, like there were one and one A. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you O'Reilly wasn't great. Mm-hmm. But so was Luke Shen. Afternoon hockey on a family day, 1230 on Sportsnet Ontario. We'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good morning. Good morning.